Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook, hosted by Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Winterswick of Evermont Wealth. This podcast dives deep into investment strategies, retirement planning, and current events, equipping you with the insights needed to craft a robust retirement playbook adaptable to any political or economic climate. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they guide you through the complexities of retirement planning. Offering expert advice to tackle challenge, it's time to build your optimal retirement playbook. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Matthew Thiel here with Joshua Winterswike. We're both certified financial planners with Evermont Wealth. And it's just the two of us today. Unfortunately, Brent is out. And Josh, it's our show. How are you doing today? Excited. A little nervous, just the two of us. Me too. And like, I feel like my intro, already, we should already just redo it. You know, we've got we to gotta edit it. I normally don't do the intro. I know. I know. But you did a good job. Great job. It was a little, it was a little poor, but hopefully people are still listening. Yeah. No, it was good. I, I definitely wanted to get started, though, with asking you a question, because this is a topic you like to talk about. But it seems like the days are getting a little longer. So I had to look up when the time's changing for daylight savings. That's coming up. I'm so excited. We were driving home the other day. It was me and my daughter and my son. My son can't talk because he's only 10 months, but she was asking me, you know, dad, why is the sun still up? And I, you know, I had to explain to her that the the days are getting a little bit longer and the sun's staying up and pretty soon the time's going to change. And like her and I were both excited about that because like from her angle, you know, she's three years old. She gets home at night after we pick her up from her, her daycare and it's dark. She can't play outside, but it's only like six o'clock. She still has energy to burn. Right. But now in the summer months, we're going to be able to play outside till like seven o'clock. Then she'll take a bath and it's more normal. Like, I, I truly don't understand why they changed the time in the winter. Farmers, man. Farmers. <laughs> I, I actually think, you know, I didn't care as much. This is always like a, a big topic with you about the daylight savings. But you're right. With kids, now that I have, you know, my son, it's like, you know, I get home, it's dark outside and, you know, it's cold or it's rainy and, we have to keep him inside and he has all of this energy to burn. So it's almost like extra work to try to get this energy out by keeping him inside because he wants to be outside. Yeah. And it's even depressing. If the sun was staying up to like seven o'clock, we record on Fridays. I'd go home and I'd probably fire up the barbecue and make some burgers. But when I get home at after work, it's, you know, six o'clock, it's pitch dark and freezing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not firing up the barbecue. <laughs> I, no, I agree. I didn't, I, I like I said, I, I didn't care as much before, but now with the family and kids, I'm definitely looking forward to daylight savings. And it's better for golf. It is. Twilight rounds for all those golfers out there. Yeah, there you go. Hot take headlines. Let's get started. All right. I'll, I'll take the first one. Let's discuss the CPI. So for those who don't know, the CPI is the inflation reading. And that came in a little bit hotter than expected for the month of January. Came in at 0.3% while economists were forecasting a 0.2% increase. Not that big of a change, but overall, I think it was big sentiment wise. And what I mean by that is the stock market, the bond market are currently expecting the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates because they expect inflation to keep going down. But we've been telling our clients now for a while that the risk is that inflation is actually going to pick up from here and the Fed's not going to be able to cut those rates. What yeah, you- I think just from like a consumer standpoint, most people still feel this, right? The conversation's still like everything's more expensive. It seems like it's still getting more expensive. So the data is in line with, I think, what people are feeling, you know, 
from their month to month budget. During my client reviews last year, I felt like I was offending everyone when I pulled up the graph of inflation and I told them inflation was going lower. My clients looked at me like I was offending them every time. Yeah, because they could feel it. Right. It's, it's growing at a slower rate, but they're still filling it in their pocket, so it doesn't make them feel any better. And basically, what, what the economists and, and the Wall Street people, what they talk about is like the annual change. They're not talking about the cumulative change. Correct. So inflation's up, what, like 45% or something in the last four mm-hmm. years? Yep. That's why prices are so high. It, it's just, you know, kind of what's been the case where this inflation keeps lingering, right? Right. The expectation, we want rates to come down. We want inflation to come down. But it's lingering and it's just taken a long time. And this last data print is kind of still on that same theme. Yeah. So what happened after this print, though, which was really interesting, was the stock market started to drop. And the bond market started to go higher, meaning interest rates were going higher. So bond prices were coming in. I really think the stock market was getting set up to start kind of that late February, early March sell-off that has that kind of presidential election seasonality factor. Mm -hmm. And we've been predicting this, right? You've been telling your clients this. I've been telling my clients that, hey, we expect the market to kind of come in this spring. Mm -hmm. However, I think the stock market might have been saved by one single company. Um, Talk to us about NVIDIA earnings. Yeah, that's a pretty strong take. But if you've been watching any financial news, NVIDIA has just been skyrocketing. They reported earnings. Fourth quarter fiscal 2024 revenue reached a record $22 billion, a 22% increase from the previous quarter, and a 265% increase year over year. I mean, just amazing how this company continues to grow. And I feel like after every earnings call, it's been up, and I don't know the exact data, but up over 15, 20% after every earnings call. And this was the case again after this great earnings report this week. Yeah, what's wild to me is I think NVIDIA is now the most important stock in the whole market. From really probably 2008, 2009 time period until 21, 22, it was Apple. Apple is the most important stock. The way they reported earnings kind of took the stock market with it. Mm. But now it's NVIDIA. NVIDIA earnings day for, for people like us who follow the market felt like the Super Bowl. You know, everybody was talking about it. So I think CNBC had a cl- countdown clock going. They're, this <laughs> yeah. is the most important company. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I just remember even, you know, six, seven years ago, it was like we'd watched Apple demos. We'd be listening to the earnings call or waiting for the earnings to be reported because, like, the expectation is if they're doing good, we're doing good, right? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think you're really right with NVIDIA. It's all over Twitter. It's what people are talking about. And I feel like, you know, the public's kind of standing by. So definitely probably a nominee for stock of the year, last year and this year, and maybe for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And so the CEO, Jensen Wang, I'm going to pull a quote that he said. He said, accelerated computing and general AI have hit a tipping point. Demand is surging worldwide across companies, industries, and nations. And I, I think basically what he's saying is this is kind of like, to me, I read it like when everybody started buying iPhones. Mm-hmm. And everybody's buying these chips from NVIDIA to build out AI programs. Is, is that correct? The smartphone craze, but now this is kind of the super computer AI 
um, cryptocurrency. You, you kind of group all of these things in one because I kind of felt like NVIDIA was more around like uh, gaming chips. And then, then they, you know, then they went into kind of the Tesla and uh, they were using them there and it was kind of specific. But now you could see just the use of computers. Uh, we talked about Apple Vision Pro, like all of these advancements in technology and they're benefiting from that. And so, you know, good for them, good for the stock, good for if you own it. I do think though, you know, we're very positive talking about NVIDIA, but it sounds like Microsoft and some of these bigger players are actually trying to, you know, generate their own chips. And so that could be the threat to NVIDIA in my opinion. Yeah, it could be, that could be a long-term threat to them. And that's what Apple ended up doing with the iPhone. They, they originally were using other people's chips and then they started creating their own. Mm -hmm. So I could absolutely see that happening, especially with how much NVIDIA stock has gone up in the last year. Right. People right. are going to want to take market share. But absolutely great. I mean, wow, NVIDIA. You continued to awe me. So yeah, same here. Well, things are getting a little bit frothy in AI land. We've, we've obviously just talked about NVIDIA going up. Have you heard of super microcomputer? Oh, not before <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. I did not hear about super microcomputer. So super microcomputer was this kind of mid-cap chip company that has server and cloud technology that is used in AI software. And it was a company with a market cap, you know, around a couple billion dollars a few years ago. And now it's at a $50 billion market cap. <laughs> The stock went from about $100 a share to over $1,000 a share in less than a year. So it was a 10Xer. We've seen this before. We might have, yeah. (laughs) And just this year, the stock is up 243%. In price terms, it went from $300 a share to over $1,000 a share. Wow. In a year. This year, in two months. And... What people are comparing this to is GameStop. Yes, uh, you, I've seen that a lot. This is a Wall Street Bets yeah, movement here. Yeah, yeah. This is like the Wall Street Bets <laughs> thing. Except this is actually a company that's that's like making money and part of the AI revolution. What do you think here? I think it's different. Yeah, I mean, this company, you know, you, you've seen what they're actually, their mission behind the company is. It's involving all kind of aspects of artificial intelligence and AI. We see how well that industry is doing. So this is complete. My take is it's completely different than the GameStop. I think that it could be an indication, though, that we might be a little bit, you know, too optimistic on this industry with that amount of growth that's happened. But again, it we're I'm not comparing it to a Wall Street bet. Yeah, it is. It is frothy, but you know, I'll say their their quarterly revenue grew over a hundred percent. So. Yeah, the, yeah, I mean, it's justified. The growth at is least there. A little bit. It, it pulled back though, right? It's not at a thousand anymore. No, it, yeah, it's at, it's actually been a wild ride the last few weeks, jumping uh, pretty much ten percent a day between you know a thousand dollars a share and eight hundred dollars a share. I think <laughs> there was so one busy. day it was down like twenty percent. I actually haven't heard anyone though being like, oh, I, I own super microcomputer. So I went on Wall Street bets because I wanted to yeah. see what how much buzz it was getting. It was getting some buzz, but actually, Nvidia gets a lot more buzz. They're doing the whole YOLO call thing again on NVIDIA. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Fire beware. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so I heard that Capital One is buying Discover card. It's a $35.3 billion all-stock deal. 
seems like a pretty big acquisition and two well-known um, consumer financial brands. Uh, what do you think about this? You know what? Um, Capital One doesn't have its own payment network. So payment network meaning, you know, like Visa and MasterCard have their own payment network. So this is a big move for them because Discover does. So they're buying Discover's payment network. So, you know, again, makes them even bigger. I think there's pros and cons to that, though. You know, with them becoming bigger and a bigger player in this space, does it create more competitions to drive prices lower for consumers as far as, you know, lending, credit cards, all of that stuff? Or does it give them the capability to raise rates on even current customers or new new customers to the platform? You know, I think that jury's still out on what's to come. Uh, I think Elizabeth Warren's already on. And so I think that also, you know, although they've agreed to this deal, I think that it'll probably take a while to be finalized because it seems like, you know, just politically, this is getting a lot of attention in this industry, which it normally does with financial acquisitions. Yeah, it's probably good for consumers long run. I mean, it puts Capital One as the sixth largest bank by in the U.S. by assets. I, I think mean, on the lending side, too, they like jump JP Morgan Chase. Oh, wow. Uh, not on the banking side, but on the lending side with this amount of or with this acquisition. But yeah, you know, I think that if they can make their products better and kind of give another option to Visa, MasterCard and kind of the bigger players, hopefully it turns out well for consumers. And does Capital One have like a high yield banking option? Do you know, are you familiar with their products? Yeah, they do. So I I believe Capital One used to be, it was ING and then it was Orange. Oh, and then I remember Capital that. One, I think, you know, bought them. So they do have a, a banking tree to their platform and they do have a high yield savings. So again, you know, I'm all for like more and better products for the consumer. So this gives them, you know, kind of even more leverage in that space. So hopefully, you know, it's good for anyone using their platform and they come out with some new products, better products or cheaper products for consumers. Yeah, I, I hope I hope so too. And I, I do think from a stock standpoint, I know Visa and MasterCard both kind of sold off on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so And after, after a period where they were doing pretty well, I mean, obviously it's a very profitable space. So. Yeah. So have you been getting any questions from your clients about Jeff Bezos selling stock recently? I haven't. No, not yet. At least I've but, gotten a few questions and I've seen a lot of posts on social media, the, you know, Instagram, Reddit X, which is Twitter. Uh, it always feels funny saying that. But <laughs> so it, the reason why people are concerned about this, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of, of Amazon has been selling stock in the open market and not just like a little bit of stock. I think in total, he sold $8.5 billion of Amazon stock. This was like in 20, was it 2021? Yeah. We saw a lot of these, you know, business owners starting to sell stock and it was, you know, somewhat concerning and eye opening. And I feel like this story has that same feeling. It does. Yeah. So the, what you're referring to is like right around the same time, I think it was like November, December, 2021, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg all were selling stock in their company. And it turned out that was the exact top of the market. Mm-hmm. So they timed it pretty well. You know, you could make the argument that, of course, these guys know when the economy or the market's going to tank. They run, you know, five of the three of the largest companies in the they US. They own 20% of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? Like their companies make up like, like you were saying, like probably 20% of the S&P 500. Right. Um, but so looking at these actual sales from Jeff Be- Bezos, it's part of a share sale program. So these were pre-planned sales that he planned out uh, a long time ago. 
for him to get liquidity from his Amazon stock. And when you think about it, it makes total sense because the majority of his net worth is actually tied to Amazon stock. So why wouldn't he want to sell some shares? He gets this approved by the board. They say, okay, you could sell the shares. So it's not like he's been going, I think the market's going to crash. I'm going to dump my stock. What he's doing is actually diversifying out his portfolio. And there's probably some tax strategy behind that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine some tax strategy there the, too. What I take from this though is like it, like it, it is a good lesson even for, you know, just the retirement planning DIYer out there. This is all strategically planned, right? The sales are planned. He needs liquidity. This is what's going to happen in retirement for most individuals, right? You're going to get to a point, whether you have a small business, you have a portfolio that's invested, you only have real estate as well, like the client who has their primary residence and five rental properties. Well, eventually you're going to need flexibility and liquidity. And, you know, there's a lesson here. Even Jeff Bezos has planned sales to create that flexibility and liquidity. So I think it's a good lesson here from Jeff himself that he's planning out this liquidation event because he, he also probably needs money. It seems like his lifestyle is pretty expensive now with his new girlfriend. Yeah, they're always in the tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're not concerned about this. All right, let's dive into the retirement plan corner. Today we have a pretty general topic. It's not going to be as kind of close to retirement heavy as usual, uh, but it's one that comes up around this time in tax season. So here we are turning, turning the page on February and about to enter March. And it's tax season. And the number one question we get around tax season from people is, hey, I want to make an IRA contribution. Can I? And an IRA is an individual retirement account. Right. And it's actually a pretty tricky question to answer. And most people think, and especially actually tax preparers, I feel like tax preparers don't even get this wrong a lot, that almost anybody can make an IRA contribution, but it's actually that's actually false. That's correct. And there's kind of a workaround. So I'll get us started. We have a flow chart that we're going to go through today with some questions. And I think that it's important because, you know, with a lot of more information out there around finance and retirement planning and tax savings, I feel like there's a lot of people that say, go fund your IRA, right? Even on Instagram and Facebook or go fund your Roth IRA. But there's actually things that you have to make sure you qualify for to be able to actually fund an IRA. So I'm glad we're covering this today. Yeah, me too. Okay, so I'll, I'll get this kicked off. First of all, you and your spouse have to have, have earned income. Josh, what's earned income? So these are your wages, right? You have to be working, whether that's going to be W-2, 1099, even freelance work, you own a small business, but you have to earn money to be able to put into an IRA. So if you don't have documented wages, you cannot contribute to an IRA. So now let's move on. Our next question is, did you make a contribution to a Roth IRA? Uh, If yes, then you're not eligible for an IRA contribution, but it gets a little bit tricky from there. You actually might be able to be eligible for a partial contribution depending on how much you put in your Roth. Yeah, because the the limits of how much you can put into let's just call it Roth or IRA are the same. So you can't, so you're, you're looking at aggregation rules between Roth and IRA. So if you did max out a, a Roth IRA, just kind of for a more simple example, you can't also fund a Roth and vice versa. So if you max out a Roth, you can't also contribute to an IRA. You know, it's interesting that I don't see a lot of accountants recommending to clients to actually split their IRA to Roth contribution. Yeah, you know what? We do that a lot more with 401k. 
right. know, if you have a 401k option and we talk about IRA, pre-tax money, and then also Roth and splitting it, right, to creating two buckets. But you're right. We don't really, and I personally haven't got a lot of CPAs recommending doing partials yeah, as well. It could be a good strategy to explore. Okay, so let's move on. So if you did a full Roth, unfortunately you can't do IRA. But if you didn't do a Roth, great news, you might be eligible for this IRA contribution. And you could contribute up to $7,000. If you're under the age 50, if you're over the age 50, it's $8,000, and that's for 2024. Yeah, and uh, that increase is called a catch-up. So it's a $1,000 increase if you're over 50 that you can contribute into that IRA. But if you're younger and you're listening to this show and you're saying, hey, great, I have a job. My grandparents gave me some money. They gave me $10,000. i am going to put 7000 of it into an IRA. But if you only made 5000 that's actually your max. So your, only, your earnings is your max. That's correct. So you have to have made over 7000 to do the max contribution. So after that, now we need to determine if it's deductible. Right. So w- what Matt just explained is basically you can contribute to an IRA, but then we're going to get into is it actually deductible from your income to get the tax savings from contributing into the IRA? And that's going to depend on your filing status. So how you file taxes and how much money you made. So I'll kind of start here, you know, if you're single, so it's different if you are single compared to if you're filing married jointly. But if you are single and you are an active participant in an employer sponsored plan, then unfortunately you are not going to be able to get the deduction depending on your income. So, but I have, let's go for a follow-up question. If you're single and you are in an employer-sponsored plan, you can contribute to an IRA, but you're not going to be able to actually deduct it from your taxes, right? There's one more level to this. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. So if you aren't, let's start with just if you aren't. So meaning, you know, I'm working, I don't have an employer-sponsored plan. An example of this is like a 401k, a 457. If you don't have that, then you can contribute to a deductible IRA. So single, I don't have an employer-sponsored plan. I have earned income. I am able to put in to an IRA and receive the deduction. But one more variable to this calculation. (laughs) Confusing. If you are participating in an active sponsored retirement plan from your employer, and you make over 87000 you are not allowed to deduct the IRA contribution. And that income is based off of your modified adjusted gross income. And then it kind of brackets out from there, right? Yeah, and that's just generally. So it goes down if you make between 77000 and 87000 you could do a partial deduction. But then also if you earn less than 77000 and you're also an active participant in the employer-sponsored plan, then you can contribute into an IRA and receive the deductibility. So we're talking about single people. I'll take married people because I'm sure there's a lot of married listeners who want to know. Yeah, I wanted to just touch on this one more, one more thing, though. So give an example of who can actually deduct from an IRA if you're single, if you are part of an employer-sponsored plan. So not only do you have to have earned income, you have to make less than 77000 to actually be able to deduct the IRA contribution. So just to kind of summarize there. 
I know it's kind of a lot of steps, uh, but again, you potentially can if you hit all of those criteria. All right. Well, if you thought single was confusing, just wait till we hit married. All right. So if you are married, you file jointly. First question is, are you an active participant in a employer-sponsored plan? If the answer is yes, then the next question is, what is your modified adjusted gross income, a.k.a. Maggie? And if you make 143000 or more, you're not allowed to do a deduction. So that's your earnings cap. So it goes up. Right, so you have two people in the household, and so it's not eighty-seven anymore. They bump it up to one hundred and forty-three. Yeah, which is nice. But I feel like most people who we see, most couples are making more than that combined. Yeah, especially like in Southern California, I feel like you're right. Together, they're making over that, so we're already phased out of being able to make a higher contribution. Um, Okay, so let's go back to the top then. If you are not an active participant in an employer-sponsored retirement plan, then the next question is. Well, what about your spouse? Is your spouse an active participant in an employer-sponsored plan? If the answer is no, then you could deduct the full IRA contribution. If the answer is yes, the next question is, well, then what is your modified adjusted gross income? And we even get a wider gap now. And if it's 240000 or more, then no deduction is allowed. And I feel like this is probably more relevant to most people. You know, maybe one spouse is working on, and they have a 401k and the other spouse isn't, right? That's how the scenario would work out. Yeah, so you're looking to actually fund an IRA for your significant other because they're, they don't have an active sponsored plan or employer-sponsored plan. So if you fall under that income threshold, you're actually able to fund for the spouse that's actually not contributing through their employer. So again, yeah, I think that this is more common for us that we see. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't know this rule, that you can contribute even for a spouse that's not working if you fall within these guidelines, as long as one of this, you know, one person in the household is earning money. Right, right. And it's like, so to summarize, pretty much, if you have earned income, you can make an IRA contribution. The Correct. big the big question is, is it going to be deductible or not? Yeah. And deductible meaning it's coming off of your income, effectively saving you in taxes. Exactly. Anything else to add? No, I think that, you know, this is pretty helpful. I feel like for a lot of people, we get this question a lot, especially around this this time, if I can contribute. And it's also good, like if you are contributing on a monthly basis or you have kind of a schedule to contribute to make sure if your income's changed to see if you're actually still qualifying. Right. So, you know, we have people that are putting into IRAs or Roth IRAs on a monthly basis. If your income's changed, you might not qualify anymore, especially if you have an active employee plan yeah or you know, maybe you even just retired and you forgot right and you left those contributions going could get a penalty okay let, let's close that out and then move on to our favorite section where we give some recommends here evermont recommends we'll call it i'll go first sounds good you ever watch narcos i did i love that show that that show me and my wife both really enjoyed from the very first season to the last and i'm sad that they haven't continued it yeah it's i think it's over i I don't know if it's coming back but it was great and i I think they their time clock just caught too close up to where real time is Mm -hmm. right because they were kind of getting into i forgot what the famous mexican drug lord is el chapo el chapo yeah they were basically getting into where he starts to take over and 
you know, I think probably rightfully so they ended the show. Well, they just need to like take a few years off and then do the El Chapo uh, series. Yeah, that that would be great. But anyway, so there's a new show on Netflix that's kind of similar to Narcos, Griselda, about Griselda Blanco. Sofia Vergara's in it. Yeah, she is. Uh, this show is excellent. Have you been watching it? So few people recommended this to me, what, you being one of them. I, actually, my parents told me to watch this show, too. I started it. I think we're on episode three, but we've really enjoyed it. Very similar to Nar- Narcos. I don't, I don't feel it's as good. It's That's not, not a knock on it, but I think Narcos is just really, really good. But this has been really entertaining. I've really liked it. Yeah, like if you miss Narcos, you'll like this show. But if you watch the show before watching Narcos, I don't think you're going to like it that I actually much. see, you know, and I, I was talking to my sister-in-law last night, and she was saying, I haven't watched Narcos, but I watched Griselda, and I've, I've loved it. And I was like, well, then you have to go watch Narcos if you loved it. I was like, it's just, it's almost even better, but it's really good. It, it has us hooked. We've been like kind of jamming through it during yeah. our TV watching, yeah. watching sessions. Well done show. What do you got for me? Uh, MLS season started. So I, I, this is my recommends. If you haven't really tuned in to Major League Soccer or Soccer in America, season's starting. Matt and I are big LAFC fans. And so, yeah, tune in. You know, get to a game. We have two teams in L.A. if you're here in the Southern California area. And then also, you know, a lot of people don't know that it's on Apple TV. It is, yeah. So you could stream it on Apple. I, I think the package is like $75, which is pretty good for a major sports league package. And you yeah, can watch every game. It's not expensive. But the coverage is pretty good on Apple, I thought, for, you know, kind of being new to covering sports. I've enjoyed it. Their platform's real nice. But yeah, soccer's growing, and we have the World Cup coming up in a few years. Major League Soccer's back, so although football's over, I know we talk about football a lot on this podcast too, but our my favorite sports coming back uh, to America, MLS is starting. I'm excited. Yeah, let's go LAFC, and then Messi. Messi's here too, right? So we could watch Messi. Yeah, I just saw a poll. He's now America's favorite athlete. Really? That's what I heard. Huh. Soccer's taking over. Wow. Over Travis Kelsey? <laughs> Taylor Swift, the couple. Taylor Swift's boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. So tune in. Uh, me too. All right. Well, thank you for listening to today's show. As advisors, our passion lies in assisting others. That's the reason we've chosen our profession. For those interested in arranging a meeting with any of our team members, please visit evermont.com to book a complimentary consultation. Additionally, we invite you to download our ebook from our website offering insights and guidance. It's called the Retirement Plan Playbook. To access today's show notes and more, head to the retirementplanplaybook.com. Thank you for tuning into the Retirement Plan Play- Playbook. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Retirement Plan Playbook. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated, please click the subscribe button for notifications on new episodes. For personalized financial guidance or to connect with our team, you're welcome to call us at 909-296-7977 or visit www.evermont.com for a complimentary consultation. Your journey towards a successful retirement plan continues, and we are here to help every step of the way. Until next time, keep building your future. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Evermont Wealth. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.